0: Well, hello and thanks for joining us. I'm Kate Hadwin, Principal of Pimble Ladies College in Sydney, Australia, and welcome to another episode of Speaking of Change, our podcast series exploring ways that we can advance gender equality and unleash the power of our young girls to change their world for the better. Today, you are in for a real treat. I am here with Melanie Kazidlo, one of Australia's most respected project managers and passionate diversity and inclusion advocate. She joins us for a chat and of course being the Wonder Woman that she is Mel also has three little children. I don't I don't know how you do it Mel. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> a big support network. Yeah, and one born in it. one born in the pandemic. We I'm just saying that's amazing. So Mel you're currently the executive manager project management at the APP Group. You sit on the Property Council of Australia's Diversity Committee. You're a board member at Corenet Global Australia, a board member at the GWS Giants Foundation, a board member at UNSW Foundation, oh my goodness, and if that's not enough. In 2019, you won the National Association of Women in Construction along with the Crystal Vision Award for the Advancement of Women and Other Diverse Groups. And, of course, that leads me to you being an absolute active advocate for 500 women in property and PCA girls in property. You must not sleep, Mel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do sleep. I just You have to be able to switch off um, when you get home. It's a good, uh, good check when you see your kids to be able to switch it all off. And so that's the first tip, right? That is the Swi- first tip. Switch off when we get home. Yep, and okay. kids are a good way uh, in doing that. It's a, it's a really strong form of meditation and they mindfulness. Are, they
0: are uplifting, aren't they? They mm. are a great way in doing that. But you know what? Because I know a little about you because you're a Pimble X student, I'm going to take you back to those days. And people might not actually know that you competed at the Sydney Olympic swimming trials. So there we go. Competitive sport. Now, it's not for the faint-hearted I'm wondering what that taught you in your life, being involved in such high-level competitive support
1: as, sport as a teenager. That's a great question. And I have to, before I go there, I have to say that the Pimble journey really set me on that path. Graham Brewer was the swimming coach at the time, and what he did was create the most high-performance swimming team in all of IGSA and CIS. Um, we'd never been a team before, you know, prior to the IGSA, IGSA sessions, but every year He'd lie us down on the floor, he'd get us to close our eyes, and he would walk us through the winning vision of Pimble winning IGSA. Mm -hmm. And hands down, every year that I was involved with that, with Graham, we won. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot to be said for visualising success, Um, and so that's what I took a lot from my days at Pimble with Graham. He was an incredible coach, and he was actually in the Olympics himself. So that visualisation tool uh, isn't just a sporting tool, but it's a business tool as well you have to visualize what you want and then manifestation uh, happens because you visualize yourself going there
0: and do you use that with your team smell you know you've got lots of people around you and incredible leader and in major major projects going on is that a skill that you you train people in or you talk to people about
1: it is in a sense of slowing down because it's getting the balance right between the financial obligations and also the people empowerment motivation that you need to You need to ensure that people understand the value that they bring to an organization. So what I take um, from those lessons in the meditation um, times with Graham is actually understanding where the value sits and not being too heavily weighted to um, one way or the other. So if there was too much focus on just the win, it was more the success of how you felt in those times in the swimming carnivals you focus on your win your win might be your personal best not necessarily the win of the race so it's it's when you bring it to business it's the financial objectives are clear you understand what you need but if you just focus on wholly solely that you're not going to achieve it because you need people to gel, to galvanise, and be together in achieving those obligations um, for a business, mm. so that's sort of how I bring those lessons uh, into business: is ensuring that you've got the people balance right, um, and they feel like they they love what they do, even though they're under pressure. They understand um, what the bigger purpose and the bigger why is of the organisation, and they can go back to that um, in times of where they need to hold on to their their guardrails, need to find their resilience, they can use that why and come back to that. Sounds like we're channelling Simon Sinek here. It is. I love Simon (laughs) Sinek. (laughs) Now,
0: competitive sport, you know, I'm not quite sure what you were interested in in school outside of that, but construction, Mm. it's a very male-dominated field and not only are you in it, but you are owning it. And we talk about it's our time and changing the world. You're the embodiment of that. So how did you get into
1: construction as a career? So my father's a builder uh, and so I was on a construction site at the age of three and then when it came to understanding what the future would look like, because I love design as well, I loved that design side, um, whether it be in buildings, whether it be in fashion, whether it be, you know, whatever you're doing, creative. I did visual arts, at PLC, and I did textile design. So using those visual tools and love for design, combining it with the built form, and knowing what I'd seen with my father and picking interior architecture as a degree at the University of New South Wales. So that's how I got into that. And
0: has it been a rocky road, you know, given that it's so male dominated, have there been times where you've felt like there's been obstacles there that have been really just a bit difficult to overcome?
1: Very much so, especially, you know, in the early years of university and then going into the career, I was coming into my own as a person as well. So I've, I'm married to a woman and I've been with her for uh, nearly 19 years. And so figuring out who I was in the early formative stages of uh, my career, that was challenging as well, because I was understanding what I stood for and who I was and how to be my true self. For myself and also at work. So very early on, I was very fortunate to work for a company called Toga, and I was there for about ten years. Uh, run by a, an incredible family, the Vidal family, and Charlotte Vidal was my first female mentor. So that really helped in those first formative years of having a female role model to take me under her wing and just say you can do it. Mm. And I was I was hired as a uh, designer. And in the first six months, she said, "Nope, you're going to be a project manager. You can design it. You can manage it. You can do all of it. I'd never done any of it before. And she just handed it to me and supported me. And that really set me on my journey. So that resilience of having someone believe in you so early on in your career, as I was figuring out who I was, set me up for success. And so the hurdles that you, know, you face as a woman in a male-dominated industry, if you know what you stand for it doesn't rock you as much and you can stand up for what you believe in regardless of whether you're a male or a female. And I believe that the the role modelling of women in the industry is how we're going to change that dial so drastically. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. There's many other things, but role modelling is so critical for women to see themselves in that role mm-hmm. as well. If she can do it, I can do it.
0: Absolutely. And it's hard to be it if you can't see it. I know that you have mentored, championed many, many women in the industry, many women, and and I run into them from time to time at Functions and so on who reference you and what an inspiration you've been and a support you've been. Is there a way you think about that, just drawing on the experience that you had in your career? Is there a structure to it or not so much? Or how, how do you mentor women in your
1: industry? It's really humbling, Kate. It's got goosebumps when you said that. <laughs> uh-huh. But people actually feel um, that they get something, you know, from that. It's, I mean, women supporting women is, is critical. Mm. And so just being a really vulnerable, open soundboard for women's challenges that they do face and, un- and them um, opening up to you and then you relating and saying, I've had that experience too and look what we can do together. That, that vulnerable soundboard, you create mentorship. Through that. And it happens naturally. My strong belief is that mentoring is a natural thing that you can connect with someone. Um, there's mentor programs that NAWIC and PCA do really, really well. And if you partner up with, you know, the right person, you can get really good um, benefits for your career. And there's different types of mentoring as well, because it could be a career guidance mentoring or a resilience guidance uh, with your mentor. But for me, the natural mentor partnership when I meet women and that connection that we create um, just continues on. So the structure, I think, is just being real, being open, being vulnerable, um, letting women see that you are a nat- you're natural, you, you know, you bear you bear all in a way and you have have hard days too. You know, you've gone through the same challenges and they see and go, if she's done that, we can do that. And so it's continually checking in on those people too, say how are you going. Um, and I find that they continually reach out to me, which I love Because they reach out when they need something, you know, when they just want to touch base and just want a message to say, have, 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 I need some advice here, or just to connect. Mm. Um, And that's your network, you know, it's my network too. I love to watch their journey, I love to see them thrive. I love to see anyone thrive. Um, That's actually what gets me up in bed in the morning is Mm. to see other people succeed when maybe they thought they couldn't. Because that was at one point in my life where how I felt. How am I going to do this? How am I going to be myself in this world when I'm not quite sure who I am? And looking back on on that story, I can relate so strongly. So if I can be uh, a help of people in that journey and be a soundboard and be maybe their resilience bar that they don't have, yeah, that's my inspiration. So let's go back to that story.
0: Let's let's go there. <laughs> I'm sure I'm keen to know. It must have been really incredibly challenging for you to come out and say, hey, I've got a same-sex partner. I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of my life and who I am. What surprised you in that time of your life?
1: I didn't realise at the time, but on reflection you go back and and you think, wow, what what an experience. Like it's a positive Mm -hmm. view that I have on that experience now than a negative. When you're in it, it's just confusing. You have no no idea where you're going to end up. I think that's actually a life parallel too. You don't know where you're going to end up, and um, the journeys that you actually don't plan are the ones that actually are the most amazing. And that's the thing for careers as well is that it's not lineal. You know, I, I didn't plan my career. To to be fair, it was it was opportunity, uh, with opportunity with opportunity, and every opportunity that presented itself, it generally was the riskier opportunity because my gut told me to do that. And that meant it wasn't a linear path to end up where I am today, and who knows where you know where it will go. But that's an important point. Mm. That's a really important point. Let's just stop
0: there. That it was the riskier choice. Mm. Now, that's not something I hear often. You know, pe- people are people love comfort and what feels safe and what doesn't feel risky. How did you do that? You know, because that must have felt really, I, I guess I can i can imagine, terrifying at times. So talk me through one of those decisions, a, a, the job you're in now, or perhaps, you know, a time when you moved away from something that felt really risky and, and how you would talk to other women about that if they were thinking through that decision.
1: I love that question. Um, there was, uh, so probably in the third, my third Career phase, and actually, every time I've had a child, I've changed jobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, maybe that's good. I mean, yeah. look at you go, girl. So, <laughs> I think you know, having a baby, you step back and you think you don't even know what you think. You don't even know what's going to change, but your perspective completely changes because you no longer uh, at the forefront of what you you put, it is your children. You have no choice as a mother, as a parent, as a father, whatever you are in your child's life, you actually don't have a choice. Mm. Um, so every time I, yeah, every time I had a child, my perspective changed, which meant my goals changed, my journey changed. Um, when I had my, um, was it my second child Rome, um, uh, I was on mat leave and, Um, I was approached by a few companies um, through the wonderful network of LinkedIn that we all love. I don't know how we survive without LinkedIn before, to be honest, I really don't. (laughs) Um, And normally I, um, yeah, there was a few things that just sparked my attention and I normally wouldn't pay attention to to things like that. But because you step back, you're with your child, you're kind of in, in reflection mode, I had a few conversations. And there was two, but a few different conversations ended up having a few offers and two particularly um, very different. One was to run and be the general manager of a, a Sydney construction company and the other was to help a growing construction company in a strategy role. Um, and that was the more risky option because it was to diversify the portfolio, um, bring them into an area um, that they hadn't been before. Uh, and the other one was just to head up a business and, um, you know, that role was a lot more senior. So naturally when you look on paper, that's the role that you want. But my gut said that the other role was going to be what was right for me. And um, I chose that role and I used my gut and it really was, it really helped um, shape, you know, my presence in the industry and I was able to then influence decisions in the industry and be a a role model for some people um, to show what could be done that maybe maybe someone thought it couldn't be done. And that opened up doors for other people to do things um, as well. So the riskier decision was to take the, the role for Growth Built um, in my mind. And the other role was for uh, the group called Chavello. I'm very actually very close to uh, Chris Chavello now. We uh, catch up all the time. We're actually sitting on a panel together um, for the PCA, uh, which is for the World Pride 2023. Um, we're sitting on a panel together to talk about bringing your true self to work. So we're actually very good friends and that was actually meant to be our destiny, right, us working together in the industry to change the perception of uh, LGBTI and if there's anything that we need to do in that space, that was our journey. Um, But using your gut instinct and knowing not taking the easier path on paper, Mm -hmm. trusting your gut what's right for you, how are you going to add value to the company and yourself yourself Um, And it ends up being, it has ended up being for me the right decision every time.
0: And I love how you've ended that, which is how are you going to add value, you know, to the company and yourself? And it has to be one of our most critical questions, doesn't it? How are we adding value? What's the, at the end game, what's all this about? So it's lovely to hear you reflect on that. And if we do think about diversity and inclusion, you know, look, I know that construction has moved, but there is a fair sense of, I think, community Sentiment out there that construction is not the place for people from diverse backgrounds, people diverse sexualities, etc. Women, you know, how can we shift that? I know you're doing work
1: to shift that, but what can we all do to help shift that narrative? Very good question. Again, it's where it all starts is um, at school and also at home, mm. because the perception that exists without the current education about construction, is it, it it is a trade, male-dominated, very strong, aggressive, resilient um, area where females may not be able to play and it might not be safe and there's too much risk for them. And so as parents, you want to protect your children. And so when you go home and you talk about what career you'd like to have, when you talk about construction, as a parent, if, if you've asked that question, your first reaction is, oh, Is that going to be the right space for my daughter? Do I want her to go into construction? Is she going to be protected? Will she have the same opportunities as other industries that have shown that women can be successful? And so, generally, there won't maybe be an encouragement of women to take um, a role in construction just because of lack of education, lack of knowledge as to what the possible career opportunities are, uh, which is why role modeling is so important so we can have women in those roles, in the C-suite roles, in the leadership P&L roles, that when decisions are being made about subjects and universities, you can look to the to Google, you can look to the industry, you can look outside and go, oh, okay, women are succeeding in construction. Women, women are doing great things in construction. It isn't just what we traditionally thought construction was to be, cause it's hard labour and it's, you know, it, it is, it is. That is part of construction. But it's also very academic.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, there's a labour part which, you know, so I have a husband in construction, and I certainly understand there's a lot of brains involved in the labour part as well,
1: actually. So oh, absolutely, it's a complex industry. It's it, it is it, a complex. It industry. is, and there's just not enough knowledge, enough mm. awareness around all parts that make up the industry, from the trades and the boots on the ground, all the way through to the investment decisions that you make when you um, want to do a building, mm. and so it, that's the education piece. Not just that the women women can have a fantastic role, but the education piece of how um, intelligent, sophisticated and professional construction, development and property actually is. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's just the education piece, you know, at school. There's a lot of work. um, And I know I was talking to Andrew, your career advisor at the time, probably about a year and a half ago, pre-COVID, and COVID kind of put a stop on many things about the PCA girls in property, Yes. Um, Initiatives that the PCA do really well. NARWIC do it really well. There's some really great women in the industry um, that are really spearheading girls at school, bringing them into understanding what career you can have, coming to the sites, understanding what it's all about, going home, getting talking to your parents about it, getting excited, considering a career in construction based on what they've seen, which is about awareness. If they're aware that it exists, then they can actually consider that could be a career for me and that really oh. resonates with me. Yes. If they don't know it's there, that they don't know if they can resonate with it or not and they're going to choose something else and their destiny may have been construction, property and development. Mm-hmm. And so it's this continual, continual awareness piece, bringing that knowledge to schools, um, have, having it part of the curriculum. And I know PLC, you guys do it really well with lots of, with lots of careers, robotics, technology, you're really... STEM is something that I see um, PLC do really, really well. The education piece that you have at PLCs is, is phenomenal. So just doing more of that in all forums, private schools, public schools, independent schools, um, the more we can do it en masse as a collective, the more women we will have entering construction, staying in construction, helping each other in construction um, that would just make a better industry. And there's reasons for why it's you know great to have a diverse a uh, diverse business mm. because you have a more, um, you make more profit, you make more margin, which is one thing, mm-hmm. because you actually have innovation of thought, innovation of discussion. You've got diversity around the board table, diversity on the plan table, diversity on the ground. Um, and also there's there's statistics to prove that uh, if you have women in construction, the suicide rate for men drops because men feel like they can talk mm. uh, to women and, and share their vulnerabilities because the suicide rate in construction is quite high for men so there's many many um, benefits to um, be had Mm -hmm. when you think about a diverse culture in construction
0: and look women really are drawn to helping others aren't they so even just statistics like that that aren't so well understood might be the thing that helps a young girl decide okay look I was interested in that hmm if that could have that impact as well how great would that be You have been at the highest levels of your industry for quite some time. That's tough. You know, that's really tough. It's tough being a working mum, or certainly I found it tough being a working mum. I'm really interested to know when have you felt most stretched? And you know you've got three little ones, so maybe it's right now. But you know, when have you really felt stretched? And and what are your tips for success
1: to stay at the highest level? This is an interesting one. When I felt most stretched is when I've come back from my um, having my children.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My second two, I came back after four months. My first, I uh, came back after fifteen months because I had a career um change in perception, which was fantastic. Having 15 months off with my first was just what I didn't think I would do, and I just reflect on that time so admirably. Um, but we're coming back from maternity leave and still breastfeeding and working full-time um, and having to pump in the bathroom. That's that's a really stretching. That was a really stretching time for me both times, both with Rome and Indiana. So I think the the awareness that we need to have for women that come back that are um, coming up really early, what do we do and what can we do to support them? That is not spoken yes. about enough. That's well, um, a, a taboo
0: topic, isn't it? That's like the thing. Is what yeah,
1: of- I know. Talk about. Like, Correct, and that's why it needs to be spoken about. We need to talk about the challenges, you know, and men are doing so much more now in the in their child's lives. It's fantastic, and that actually is that's what swings the dial. So they're taking paternity leave. They're having six months off. Um, there's flexible policies at work that support both men and women, and that's what changes the dial. But there still needs to be an awareness for females and what that means for the body for a female if you've carried the child. And if you come back four months after having a child you've only just come out of your fourth trimester, mm-hmm. which actually is a thing, you know. In the in the Western world, you actually, for three months after you have a child, you just sit with your family. You don't actually do anything but be with your family um, and sit in your, your close net environment. So the Western world is challenging when you think about what women have to come back to if they're still breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we can do to ease that is having, make, make sure we have the right facilities for women to feel safe, to not have to go to the bathroom to pump um, and to sit there in silence. To have a room that's um, allowing them to sit and breathe and pump and for it to be okay, to make sure it's not a taboo topic, that it is actually something we talk about. It happens, you know. Mm-hmm. People see breastfe- people, people breastfeeding all the time. If it happens at a cafe, it happens at home. It happens at work. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. That's the awareness and the um, comfortableness that we need to bring to work because it is a silent suffering thing that women do have um, in that space. So, in terms of the stretch, that's probably most the stretching. Um, time, um, even more so than some of the challenging board meetings I've been or, or challenging meetings I've had on site where you've had good, robust discussions with people.
0: And it is often the things that personally we deal with that probably other people don't see. Mm-hmm. They are the times where we really feel most alone or most vulnerable or whatever it might be. And so you talk about things that it, that can happen in the workplace to support women, but what did you do? You know, if I was to ask your beautiful wife about this and to say, what, what went on then when you were most stretched and what did you actually do to get yourself to work each day and, and keep going from a mental perspective more than from a physical perspective?
1: I think it's putting one foot in front of the other. It's just keep moving, um, moving forward, facing the challenges um, that builds resilience. And the more you do that, the more you can do it again. I have to say Tyrena is the biggest support for me in my life and my career. I couldn't do any of it without her. And she's the reason why I am where I am, to be fair and to be honest. Um, she's my backbone when I can't get up. She tells me I'm great when I don't think I'm great. Um, she makes me believe in myself if I don't. And I think that's what a great partnership is all about. Uh, it doesn't have to be your partner. It can be your family. It can be your sisters. It can be anybody. Um, but Ty has really been that for me. So when you can't get up and keep going, it's it's the realisation or the simpleness that she brings to say, that this is what it is. It's not that. You can do it. This is what it is. Oh yeah, you're right. Let's keep going. So it's um, they're coming back to reality. It's beautiful
0: to hear you speak about that. I'm, I'm sure you've told her that. But if you haven't, maybe tonight's the night. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think hopefully
0: she knows. <laughs> we get busy, right? I think we get busy yeah. though, And sometimes we just don't actually take stock. Well, we're talking, talk, lecturing myself here. <laughs> so true. And I think
1: oh. the gratitude, gratitude is something that I practice now more than ever. I'm yes. being grateful for what we have, um, the challenges and the blessings. They're all the same. If we yes. haven't got those challenges, then you haven't got um, those resilience lessons to take you to the next phase. So I think the more the older you get, the more experience you have. And if I'd said if I'd said this to myself back when I was fifteen, I'd say, "Oh God, here we go, another wisdom speech." But when you get into that phase of your life, you reflect on all of those things, and you've got that experience under your belt um, to know that it's going to be okay. You're going to get back up. You're going to succeed. You know, when you when you fail, it's part of the process. You have to fail to know when. When you are succeeding, it's part of being a human,
0: and we learn so much, don't we? I'm. You make me think about, you know, just being really intrigued about something. Must be coming to mind for you when you talk about, you know, your biggest biggest challenges or other things that they're, they're blessings as well in disguise, not at the time clearly. Was there something that really came to mind when you thought when you were talking about that?
1: Um, the challenges. I think I probably touched on lots of the challenges um, in my life. So coming out of as as being um, a lesbian being with a woman, figuring out who I was in my career. I think the challenges is, is just when you're in a job and knowing what you have to do, trust your instinct, don't overthink it. Yes. I think they're the biggest things is is that imposter syndrome that crops in for, for a lot of people. And I think women just think it's them. It's not. Men have it too. Yes. They just don't allow it to affect what they do. There's a, there's a story that everyone talks about. I've been talking about it for years. When a woman goes for an interview, if you can do nine out of the 10 things, you think, oh, I. I'm not the right person for the job, right? Mm. Um, where traditionally men go in, oh, I can do four out of the town, I'm going to smash it. It's that confidence piece that women just have to know, well, if I'm going to default to that, I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to give it a go and I am going to smash it. Mm. So it's knowing where, where your head is maybe telling you to go and it's because you care about the outcome. You care that that person and that business knows that you what everything is on the table. Mm. So it's just knowing that that maybe is what you're thinking and going, no, I can do this. I'm going to give it a crack. I'm going to smash it. You know, you look back and go, oh, I did smash it. Let's
0: tilt a little bit. And this whole space of diversity and LGBTIQA+, which in some ways I'd argue has become popular, uh, but not to the point of breakthrough, mm. you know, where people people like to say they're supporting initiatives, but they're still terrified about young people transitioning or people transitioning, things that are the harder, meatier topics, let's just not go there. How do you think we need to get to the next step? Why is this so sticky for people to get their heads around we're all people? How do we get there from where we are now?
1: I think it's because it's the unknown as well. And even for for me, hearing stories now about um, children transi- transitioning from male to female, female to male at schools and hearing the stories that the schools support them is amazing. You know, I think and that it was just, if I was back at school in that time, and if there was somebody in that, uh, someone who wanted to be a, a male as a female, there wouldn't have been the knowledge as to how to support that person. There just wouldn't have been the experience. It would have been, oh gosh, what does that mean? Oh, that's not okay. Let's not do that. There's just no knowledge around it. There was no real life experience. Um, common enough or around enough for people to reference, what do we do and how do we manage and how do we support somebody, a person in that time of their life? So there's a lot more of that now because I think people are more comfortable and children are more comfortable to be who they are. So it's, it's a different time, very different time. Um, I don't know what that means as that comes into the workforce. I'm hoping that it means that people are just so openly who they are that it inspires others to do the same. And I think that's the only real shift that we're going to be able to have. The more people that are just truly who they are, other people can look to that and say, "Wow, I can do that too." And I again, that comes back to role modeling that I was talking about before. We can't underestimate the power if you are different and you aren't part of mainstream. You know what people perceive as mainstream it's so important if you feel confident enough and comfortable enough to be open about who you are because you never know who you're going to inspire and there might be someone who you're talking to that needs you to be who you are for them to be who they are Mm. so that's one part the other part is um, businesses as, as you mentioned Kate do initiatives but are they real initiatives um as part of the, the corporate world, a lot of the REIT organisations like DEXAS and GPT, they have really incredible initiatives that I do see are real. So I think it's just continuing continuing on those paths and allowing people to tell their story. Storytelling at the corporate world is very, very powerful. Um, and people that come out as uh, transitioning or being um, changing sexuality or uh, something that uh, fits within the LGBTIQA, um bracket, and I actually get those acronyms wrong myself when I'm in there. They change all the time, and I get them wrong. <laughs> they do change, all you know. The time. So I think, <laughs> and I think that's just the beauty of: do does anyone need a label? Right? Do we actually well, need it's not labelling? About that is it? No, it's you know, not. And I, I like think you it's
0: say, the real strategies, are yeah. the things that make the most difference.
1: Correct. So I think mm. it's just it'll over time, time creates change, you know. And I think we want to speed up time sometimes because we want it to be. Here sooner rather than later. There's certainly things we can do now to make sure we ensure that it changes over time. We have to do those things. Um, and as as a parallel example for women in construction, the percentage of females in construction have been the same for nearly over 35 years. You're so so that's yeah. So those, that so that's <laughs> coming coming parallel to that. If we use that as an example to LGBTI plus, um, we have to do systematic change in diversity inclusion. Um, now in organisations in order to make that change. Otherwise, we're not going to shift the dial. But it's a combination of everything.
0: And, you know, one of your expert areas is strategy. And so a strategic approach to women in construction, to engaging with all peoples in this world... How are you advising businesses from a sort of a strategic approach through all of the various committees that you're on, whether it's with a foundation board for UNSW that's a, you know, a very old institution, uh, not saying anything about their thinking, but a very old institution right through to possibly a new startup uh, construction company? Is there a strategic approach that you're advising?
1: Yeah, the strategic approach is that they have to put goals and milestones in from a systematic point of view, as opposed to just relying upon people speaking up. And so from a women's perspective, so long it's been speak up, stand up, you must talk about what's important. You're a woman, it's up to you. It's not good enough. The businesses, the organisations, the foundations, we have to put milestones in place that are met and really audacious milestones because otherwise we're not going to shift the dial. Having quotas, having targets, having goals, whatever you want to call it, they're all the same thing in my view. It's how do we ensure that we're going to have a strong female representation at those levels to ha- help with diverse innovative conversations to change the future. When I talk about systematic change, having policies that support both men and women equally because that's that—that's again what will support women. Now, when women go off, they don't get paid superannuation. They're having a system in place where women get superannuation when they're off. And it's harder for smaller organisations to do that, but larger organisations can do that. So it's having things like that in place to change the dial. Gender, equity, pay gaps. How do you address that openly? What currently exists in your organisation? Are you looking at it? Are the executives addressing it? And what does that mean? Why is it the way it is? And how do we change that? And the reason it is the way it is, is females go off to have children. And so whilst they're off, their male counterparts are still in their career. They're still on their trajectory. They've got a promotion. They've got a pay rise. And so women come back to what they were on before. They then think about having a baby so they don't go for the promotion. They then think, oh, it's not fair for me to actually pull myself forward. I'm about to have a baby or I want to have a baby. So before you know it, six or seven years later, your male counterpart uh, may be six or seven steps above you in salary and or role. So when you look at the gender pay gap, that's the reason that it's there. And so it's how do we address those things as an organisation to ensure that there isn't such a gender pay gap? Maybe the female gets a promotion and a pay increase before she goes on that leave. Yeah. So how do we, as a, as systems, do things to make sure that, that gender pay gap doesn't get too big before it happens?
0: Look, I couldn't begin to tell you the number of conversations I've had with women who uh, come in to tell me they're they're pregnant and they want to resign from their role because it's a leadership role. And how could they possibly, you know, I step back into that when they come back or, you know, allow the college to, you know, have somebody in their short term rather than somebody re-recruited. It's one of my most frustrating conversations with incredible women that I, I, my first question is Why? Why do you think that I should accept that? <laughs> you know, how is that at all acceptable? <laughs> so, and do you ask them that? Absolutely. The time, okay? yeah. Absolutely. I yeah. ask them exactly that. You know, why on earth would that be acceptable to me? You know, that that's not a conversation I'm prepared to accept. That. You know, mm-hmm. but it's just an interesting thing the way that women do are so uh, I think in general humble Mm -hmm. and uh, put others before themselves and it leads to a whole series of knock-on implications agree globally it's probably why Australia's 43rd on the global league table for (laughs) all of this and who wants to be 43rd I mean what's that all about I
1: know (laughs) and there's only 17% female CEOs you know as a a statistic as well and that's the reason for that too it's very sad Mm. very sad Okay,
0: let's fast forward twenty years and your daughter is entering the workforce. She's been through school, she's great education. What do you want her to know before her
1: first day of work? All that matters is what you think of yourself, not what others think of you. And so going inside to think about your values, what matters to you, what value again are you going to bring, and don't worry about the perception. Being liked and everything else that you can't control, control what you can control, and don't worry about things that you can't control, would be my advice to her. That is great advice. I feel like I need. I'll, I'll be bottling that up and having it as
0: a little, you know, um, capture to share with people. We can listen back. That absolutely. <laughs> that that I kind of come in contact with, and it is about that. Um, just trust yourself.
1: You've you've got yes, this. It is you trust yourself. This. It's our time, yourself. right? It's. I our love time. that, Kate. It's our time. <laughs> I love. I love that. Well done for um, having that as a, a Pimble um, International Women's Day slogan, I think it's just wonderful. Being bold is so important. It is,
0: it is, isn't it? That's been an interesting thing for me too, you know, is just um, when uh, we had our campaign and girls were really strong and standing out strong and some people would call me and say, you know, it's that's not how we should be representing our girls. And I would say to them, well, how would you like them represented? It wasn't interesting. It certainly stopped them in their
1: tracks. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get anything uh, back?
0: I got some, mm, mm, you know, holding hands, hugging, that sort of stuff. I was like, you know, that's interesting. I'm interested in what's confronting you Mm -hmm. about the image. But another Uh, story for another
1: day. Certainly changing the dial, you know, going bold. It's so important for women.
0: Yes. And so you've been bold in the things that you're advocating for. Everything that you do in your line of work, you've been courageous, bold, uh, you've you've been a person of high integrity in that space. I'm wondering if when you finish your your career or you've achieved what you want to achieve in this space, what will be your legacy
1: when you look back? If I've set a path for women to look back and say it wasn't a traditional path, it was a path that was different. It was a path that had challenges. It was a path that was vulnerable um, hopefully that's a legacy that people can say just because I'm being told that this is what I need to do and this is where I need to go doesn't mean I have to do it. I can do things the way I want to do it. I can make myself happy by listening to what I want and do it that way. So hopefully if there's any um, take from my path, if people reflect on that or look at that, they can take courage and do things their own way. It's um, You mentioned courage and bold and being brave. I don't feel that I choose to do that because now that I've got the resilience to know who I am, I just do what I do. I just do that. But it's interesting that those are the words that you see when you look upon that. So if those that's what you take from what you've seen, even though that's not how I felt, maybe that could be the legacy that other people see is that, oh, okay, we can do this too. Let's be bold. Let's be brave. And they'll realize that they don't actually have to decide to do that. They'll just do it if they listen to who they truly are.
0: It's interesting because that is the aura that you present with. I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not, but when you walk into a space, it feels like a space of courage and a space of bravery. And when the people who have met me who speak about you, they speak about you in those terms. You know, they speak about you as being a role model to them because of your courage, because of your bravery. So it's interesting that you might not necessarily see yourself. That's very humbling, Kate. (laughs) I'm just reflecting, <laughs> reflecting back. So a couple of quick questions before we close out today. Who's one woman who's helped shape who you are today? Can I have two women? Or you can or have three? five if you like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, I have to say certainly my mother. Um, so she's my first woman who's shaped who I am. She's been, you know, obviously the big, one of the biggest supports alongside my father, for my career and continually just keeps telling me today, oh, you're so amazing, darling. Everything you do is incredible. It's just this constant belief and backing no matter what I do. And so I think that 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 can't go underestimated for somebody, male, female, old, young, everybody needs that in their life. And I'm very fortunate that I have that in my family. The second is my wife, as I mentioned before. Um, She's my backbone. She's everything. Um, She made me who I am today in terms of that courage and that boldness, um, I was able to come out so boldly at the time because when I met her, I knew she'd be the woman that I'd marry and the woman that I'd um, I'd hopefully die with uh, one day. So she is everything to me and they helped me be who I am. The third in a career sense is Charlotte Vidal, who I mentioned earlier. Um, and she is the most humble, down to earth, incredible lady you've ever met I caught up with her about two years ago, and I I wanted to tell her the impact that she had on my career. When I told her, um, and I thanked her for being who she was and giving me the opportunities, and I just said, "I don't know if you know, but you are, and what you've done for me, and where I am today in my career is because of you." She was just brushing it off, and no, no, it's all you. It's not me. It's no, no. And she was just she was so shocked and taken back, mm-hmm. and so. Um, her, I'm so glad I got to tell her that and she, oh, she's still here today but I'm so glad I told her that because it's so important that people and women know and anybody knows that they have such an impact um, upon someone's life in their career and so those are the three women um, that have shaped me mm. who, who I am today. And maybe we could encourage
0: women this International Women's Day and every International Women's Day to tell those other women around them who have shaped them, how meaningful they've been in our lives. Okay, Definitely. just a few more. Sure. Favourite place to spend time and why?
1: Wherever my children and my wife are, that's my place, mm-hmm. wherever that is. Love it. Perfect. A childhood memory that's been significant in your story? The one that comes to mind is that story I told you about Graham Brewer um, and just that meditation. That's That really did have such a transformative effect upon me in my life and and in, in business as well. You set an, an outcome Set something you're going to achieve and you're going to achieve it. That's a sporting mantra and that's a business mantra. If you set your mind to it, if you're dedicated, you're committed, you're going to achieve it. So I think that's a that's a childhood memory that comes to mind when you ask that question. And maybe even a life memory, a life mm. lesson, right? Every, Absol- everything in life. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I think even just the other one I'd say is I'm one of four girls. I'm the eldest. We all went to PLC. And I think being, not knowing this, but through my leadership coaching that I've had for the last 15 years, and I'm still with the same coach today, I didn't realise, um, but being and the eldest of four girls helped in those kind of leadership skills and leadership attributes, and I take a lot of that from being um, the eldest in the family. But didn't realise at the time, probably till I was mid twenties, that that's where I got a lot of the leadership love from, I guess. And uh, something that really bugs you,
0: <laughs> really <laughs> and, bugs and ha- me. How have you over? How do you <laughs>
1: deal with that? <laughs> Uh, really bugs me is there anything or is it just so composed I don't know I have to can I um phone a friend or come back (laughs) you don't have have to have anything that Uh. bugs you I would love to be you and not have things that bug me there certainly would be but I I think it's learning to let those go yes you know I think it's if it does it's let it go yes Um, how quickly you can let those things go um is a tool that you need in your toolkit
0: don't sweat the small stuff yeah just (laughs) let it go Mm. Okay, final question. If I was to ask you about what you treasure in your life, and I'm pretty sure we know the answer to this, what comes to mind?
1: My family Mm. and my children. I hope that we can, me and Ty, set up uh, them to be resilient people that they were born to be um, by being role models, by being open, by being vulnerable. Um, Vulnerable is so important because vulnerable is is a leadership quality that helps inspire others. So uh, to hope, hope um, that we can do that for them and give them the best chance of having the best best life. So there you go, folks.
0: You've heard it from an absolute expert, Mel Kazidlo. Thanks so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. To Kate. spend some time with you, such a pleasure. I've learned so much, and you know what I'm coming away with is just strength and vulnerability. And what a beautiful combination they are and how they shine true in you. So thank you for spending some time with us today on Speaking of Change. Thank you, Kate. It's been a pleasure. I'll come yeah. back anytime. Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Mel.